You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today we're very excited to have a special guest speaker with us. Now let's prepare our hearts as our special guest brings forth God's truth from His Word today. I'm going to do a um, little spoil alert here for you this morning. I, I kind of got this um, from watching television with my boys as uh, they were growing up. Uh, a show would come on television, you know, and we would get settled down there to watch the show, and one of the guys inevitably would say, oh, I love this show. This is where the guy gets killed in the end. I'm like, why would you tell me that? The whole purpose of watching the show was to get to the end and find out what was going to happen in the show. Well, uh, in, in our time together today, here's the spoil alert for you. Uh, the main thesis of this whole time together today is to gain an understanding practically and specifically of what it means to be walking daily in the spirit of revival. We are doing a series here on revival and today that is our subject that we're going to be talking about revival in our daily walk. Now next week we're going to talk about uh, what happens when revival fires come and you'll want to be here for that uh, final lesson next week so I encourage you to be here but uh, our text today is in Ephesians chapter 5 so I encourage you to turn there in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 5 and we're going to be looking at uh, primarily three verses here verses 15, 16 and 17. Now to help us to really get an understanding of the text because I believe that's uh, vitally important and typically I, I like going through entire books because then you build upon it and by the time you get to chapter 5 you've got a full understanding of what's happening in the text. But to help us to understand it this morning uh, we need to know what Paul was talking about leading up to chapter 5 and verses 15, 16, and 17. So Paul tells us the, the kinds of behavior that should be present in the lives of believers and, and the behavior that shouldn't be in the lives of believers. He's been, he's been working on that and helping us to understand those things that should be absent. He says that because we have been brought into the light of Jesus Christ, so we must live differently from those who are still living in darkness. And we understand that. There, there, there's a difference between our lives and the lives of those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He continues that thought in our text this morning where he tells us that we should be very careful how we live much as a person has to be, like a soldier would have to be careful if they were on a, on a, uh, uh, a battlefield and crossing a minefield. Normally they would send a, a team of engineers out there and they would try to locate mines and they would stake it out and have flags and then you needed to stay on a certain path because that path was clear, that path was safe. And if you wandered off of that path, then who knows what would happen. And so in our lives, uh, that's what Paul is, is trying to help us to see, that we need to live our lives much the same way as a person who would walk carefully through a minefield. So Paul gives us three pieces of instruction in what it means to carefully live out our lives. So the first thing that we see is that we need to live wisely. 
Live wisely. Verse 15, Paul says, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. That idea of circumspectly is that we are walking inside of a parameter. We are, we are staying in a path that we know that God would want us to be in. We are guarding ourselves from wandering out into where there might be, be traps and minefields and all of that. But we walk circumspectly uh, in this area. So Billy Graham was once asked what he, what, what he thought was most surprising about, about life. And his answer was, it's brevity. It's brevity. And that's, a, that's an interesting answer when you think about it, because when we're young, it doesn't seem like, like life is going by really fast. And, and, and we see older people, and, and we think that, you know, well, it's going to be forever before I'm as old as that person, you know. And uh, I used to, I, I still remember when I thought of people that's my age as being like really over the hill, really, really old, and they couldn't do anything, you know. And now I'm thinking that's not, that's crazy, you know. But one thing that I have come to know is that the older you get, the more you think about using your time wisely. Because we began to realize that there isn't a lot of time left this side of eternity when you start to get up into your 60s and then 70s and 80s. There's not a lot of time guaranteed there. When we're younger, we think we got all the time in the world. We think that we can, we can spend our time almost foolishly just doing whatever we would desire to do. But we need, to, we need to come to that point in our lives that we evaluate what matters, what really matters in light of eternity. Now, when you think about people in the scriptures, one of the men that comes to my mind is Moses. And Moses must have been feeling this when he wrote Psalm 90. I mean, he has spent his first 40 years as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and during that time, he was living in the, the lap of luxury. I mean, he had comfort. He had everything that he wanted. He could just enjoy life. And, and, and everything was great in those first 40 years. He comes to his second 40 years. And during that time, he is a fugitive shepherd wandering around the Sinai Peninsula. And it was a different time period in his life, and he was probably beginning to evaluate some of, the, some of his priorities and some of his desires in life and, and looking back over the last, uh, last part of his life. Then he spent the last 40 years of his long life leading a rebellious bunch of Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, but, but not quite into the promised land. He didn't quite make it there. So as they were camped somewhere in the wilderness, shy of reaching the promised land, I believe that Moses is reflecting upon his life, the 40 years in Pharaoh's uh, palace, the 40 years as a shepherd, the 40 years of leading these people. And he begins to write Psalm 90, reflecting on the brevity of life and the the severity of God's judgment. And usually when we want to, when we want to really get things in perspective and we look
look at our lives and we look at what's going on in life and what is important of life, we need to also be thinking about the severity of the judgment of God because one day we will stand before the, the um, judgment seat of Christ. It will come. And so I think he's reflecting upon that. And in verse 12 of Psalm 90, he prayed, Oh, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. So you can see how he's thinking. You can see how he's reflecting upon his life. Teach us to number our days. And we're not just numbering our days to be numbering our days, but we are numbering them so that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And he concludes the psalm with the, with the prayer in verse 17 when he says, And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. Now the pugnant repetition of his final plea here shows that even Moses was afraid that his life's work would amount to nothing unless God confirmed it and gave permanence to it. And so as we look at our text, we see that Paul's first instruction to us is to walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. And the Bible takes a great, talks a great deal about wisdom and, and contrasting that wisdom with foolishness. The book of Proverbs, uh, of course, it is written as a way of passing on wisdom to the next generation so that they may benefit from it. We try to do that as parents, but um, we soon find out that our teenage kids, they know everything. They don't really need to learn anything from us. In fact, they can teach us a few things. At least they think they can. But we try to tell them, and then they say, but Dad, didn't you do this? Yeah, that's why I'm trying to tell you not to do it, because I know the heartache that it brought. And I know the consequences that come from not walking the way that we should walk. And so we try to pass that on to, to the, the, the generations down the road. So Proverbs declares that there is nothing in the world that is more valuable than wisdom. Doesn't matter what it is. And there's a lot of things that we will pursue in our lifetime in this world. But Proverbs tells us that nothing is more valuable than wisdom. The writer says in, in Proverbs 4, 7, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. So what he is saying here is that wisdom is supreme. Wisdom is the principal thing. It is greater value than anything else in all the world because it gives us success in life. And it will help us to understand what true success really is. Because you see, there's a lot of ideas out there about what it really means to be successful. And, and most of the times, there's a big gap between what looks successful to the world and what looks successful to God and what should look successful to us as, as Christians as we walk in, in, this, in this life. And so, so it's important that we, that we understand this. So we must understand what, what is wisdom. Well, it may be easier to define wisdom by pointing out what wisdom is not. And first of all, wisdom is not the same thing as knowledge. It really isn't. 
You see, a wise person often has a great deal of knowledge. We understand that. But having extensive knowledge does not guarantee the person is wise. That's why they do a lot of stupid things, because they're not really wise. They have a lot of knowledge. So wisdom is the ability to apply the knowledge, experience, and skills you have to determine how best to proceed in any given situation, and then to actually apply that to our life. You see, it's one thing to gain wisdom, it's one thing to gain knowledge, but if we never apply it to our life, what good is it to us? And there are many people who can, can explain all sorts of lofty concepts to you, and, and yet they seem to have no idea about how to actually live their lives. And, and, and they make poor choices. And they find their lives in shambles. And these people have great knowledge, but they have little wisdom. And so the wise person is the one who is able to look past all of the, all of the distractions of this life. And there are a lot of distractions but can look past all of the distractions and see the real issue and act accordingly. And a simple example uh, of wisdom uh, would be that of parents with uh, a small child who is resisting them. We've probably all seen that. We've maybe even experienced it with our own children. Maybe you're at a grocery store or whatever, and they decide they want this particular kind of cereal or this uh, gadget over here or whatever it is, and you say no, and the child begins to throw a little bit of a fit. And, and seeking to make life miserable for their parents in hopes that their parent will simply give in to their demands. If I cry enough, if I scream enough, if I throw a big enough fit, then mom's gonna finally get tired of it and she's gonna give it or dad's gonna allow me to have this. And, but a wise parent knows that there is more at stake than just whether the child gets what they want in this moment. Even even if what the child is demanding isn't harmless. A wise parent will still deny the child's wishes because they see the bigger issue that is involved. And they know that rewarding the child's bad behavior by giving them what they want in that moment of a fit will have disastrous consequences down the road. And so a wise parent is willing to endure the wrath of the child for a short term in order to teach the child character and right behavior for the long term. And, and, and this is, is quite a contrast, really, when you, when you think about it and look about it to the way that the world functions today. So often we are, we are encouraged by the world to, to just follow your heart. Just do what feels right for you. You need to live in the moment, enjoy what you have right now, and just, just live it up in that moment. And what that is, it, it is the, the epitome of foolishness. The wise person recognizes that, that simply doing what feels good is not a good test for determining what is right. And the wise person understands that following our feelings and our desires will often lead us into a dangerous minefield. It will bring us outside of that circumference of what we should be walking in when Paul says that we are to walk circumspectly. Let me give you an example that, that, that demonstrates how foolish it is to simply follow our desires. 
If we follow our desires, uh, a lot of people just simply wouldn't get out of bed in the morning and go to work because we'd rather just sleep in, right? I mean, on those cold mornings, yeah, when it's uh, below zero and, and you got to go out there and start the car or maybe shovel some snow or whatever you got to do to get to work and, and maybe you're going to work outside and that. I'd just rather stay under these covers a little bit longer. And if we do go to work, we would only do our jobs when we feel like it. Because what we rather do while we're sitting there is, you know, check out Facebook and do some shopping online and talking to our friends or maybe even taking a nap on the job. And if we only follow our desires, we would be, we would be dangerous with uh, credit cards because we would simply buy what looks attractive to us, even if we don't have the means of repaying it. Or we would be, and this is where it hits home for me at least, we would be overweight. <laughs> and have poor health because we would overeat and we would eat unhealthy food. Our marriages would crumble because we would walk away from our spouses after a fight because we just feel like we don't love them any longer. Does all this sound like our society? I mean, this is a, this is a result of living the way our culture says being driven by our feelings and our desires. And living this way is foolish, and it has disastrous consequences. And you and I may, make, may not make all of these mistakes that I, I pointed out, but, but we do make some of them. And when we choose to think only about our present desires without really weighing the consequences of our actions, what we are doing in reality is walking foolishly. The wise person is able to take a step back from the situation and see beyond the moment. And so here's how James uh, tells us that we can recognize a wise person. In James chapter 3 and verse 13, he said, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of good conversation his works with meekness, of wisdom. So wise people not only have knowledge of how to live, they actually live that way. They have the knowledge and then they say, you know, this is how I need to live my life. This is what I should do. This is how I should discipline my life. And so wisdom is about seeing the big picture and living based on what we know to be true rather than on what we feel. So Paul says that since we have been made new by God, we must be careful to live wisely instead of living foolishly. So it's not enough to know the right way to go. We must choose to do the right thing as well. Number two is make the most of every opportunity. In verse 16, Paul says, redeeming the time. Why do we have to redeem the time? Because the days are evil. So Paul's instruction is to redeem the time. In other words, Paul wants us to see that time is a valuable commodity. And we should treat it as such. And I'm afraid that as when we are younger, we don't really look at it from that perspective. We think, you know... I'm, I'm 20 or I'm 30, I've got another 60 years to live, I got plenty of time to do this or that. 
that time vanishes pretty quickly, just like money in your hand will disappear quickly. So he tells us that we should spend the time that we have wisely because we cannot get any more time. There's only a certain amount of time. There's a day appointed. And so there's just that amount of time. So what, what does this look like in the Christian life? Well, it means that we live with perspective, that we recognize that the time we have is very precious and it's very limited. We will cherish the time that we have with our children. They won't be children very long, mindful that they grow up extremely quick. We will share the gospel message with our family and our friends, mindful that, that there is nothing more important than a relationship with Jesus Christ. We will make time to keep our relationship with our spouses vibrant and healthy because we know that a healthy marriage will help every other area of our lives. We will spend less time in fruitless pursuits like watching television or browsing the internet. And we'll spend more time doing the things that matter, like spending time with our family, or seeking to feed our minds, or serving in a ministry that will make a lasting impact on somebody's life. We will work harder when we are at our jobs, mindful that we, we are, are working for the Lord. The job that we are doing is as unto the Lord. And so we need to work harder. We will make time for rest, recognizing that God has not designed us to run nonstop. And isn't that something that we learn as we get older? You know, when, when it gets dark out at, at nights now, uh, I just as soon be sitting in my recliner with my blanket and uh, just kick back and relaxing. When I was younger, I, we would have deacon meetings that would go until midnight, you know, and then after they left, I'd spend another hour or two uh, working on all of the things that we talked about and, and constantly doing that and then back up at 4.30, 5 o'clock the next morning starting again. When we're young, we, we think that we can just go nonstop and burn the candles at both ends, and we can't do that. We will make corporate worship and personal Bible study and prayer a priority for our time, recognizing that little else will be of greater value. And of course, in order to redeem the time in our life, we must possess wisdom. And there, there are hundreds and hundreds, thousands of different things that are competing for our time every day of our lives constantly. And they're screaming and yelling at us and they're the urgent things. You got to get this done. You got to take care of this. This has to happen before this can happen. And many things are demanding our attention and fighting for our time and our energy. But have you ever noticed that your quiet time with the Lord doesn't scream and yell at you. And yet that is the most important thing. Our time in prayer doesn't scream and yell at us. And that's the most important thing we can do in life. There's a little booklet out there called The Tyranny of the Urgent. If you've never read that, you can get it on Amazon. It's like $2.50. It's just a little booklet. Charles Hummel wrote it. 
The urgent, he says in that book, the whole premise of that little booklet is that the urgent is always demanding while the important remains silent. The time we spend with our kids and our wives and our families, those are important times. There's a lot of urgent things that will scream and yell at us. So our time is limited and we can only choose to do so much, so we must choose wisely. And so since time is like a value commodity, we must approach it much like we would our money. We, we, we must make a time budget recognizing how much time we, we have and prioritize that time so that we can spend that time wisely. So like a financial budget, we, we pay our mortgage, our rent, our light bill, our water bill, our insurances. We pay all of those things first and, and get our groceries and everything. If there's anything left to spend, then we have a little bit of extras to do what we want to with. So we can do the same thing with our time. We should, we should spend our time on the most important things first. And then look at the time that we have left and choose where we're going to spend that time. Now... Doing this means that we, we will have to say no to some things because we just don't have enough time to do all those things. And, and, and we often get this backwards, don't we? we? We make commitments to the things of this world, the things that scream at us, and, and we just don't have the time for church or for ministry or for studying the Bible. There, there are some activities that aren't bad, but we, don't, we just simply don't have time to do everything. And how often do you hear somebody say, you know, I, I have made a commitment to my Lord. I, I just don't have time to do this other thing. We don't usually hear it that way, do we? We hear it the other way around. I, don't, I just didn't have time for church. I didn't have time to read my Bible today. I had too much stuff on my plate. I had to get all of this stuff done. And so I didn't, I didn't have time. So we need, to, we need to look at our lives if we're going to walk circumspectly, wise, and not foolishly, redeem the time because the days are evil, then we're going to have to look at our time and say what is most important, not what's most urgent, not what is the loudest, but the most important. The final thing we see here is understand the, the Lord's will. In verse 17, he says, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Is. So Paul's third instruction is in some ways just a restatement of his first instructions back up there in verse 15. He says not to be foolish but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Now a wise person recognizes that, that God's will must be, must be best. And therefore, we should seek to do what God wants us to do in our lives. And we often struggle with that, don't we? We often struggle with knowing, well, what exactly is God's will in my life for a given situation? And we think about some, some of the questions that we typically ask, you know, should I, should I take this job or not? Should I go to this college or, or go to a different college? Should, should I... You, you know, what should I major on when I go to college? Should I, should I move here or stay here? Or should I begin a relationship with this person or not? And many people, they lament trying to seek the Lord's will in decisions like these because they, they aren't sure how to know what God's will is. Now, certainly there are, are 
tons of books that are written about the proper technique of discovering God's will for our life. And, and the interesting thing to me, as you begin to read some of those proper techniques, every book has a different proper technique, you know? So everybody has a different idea of how, so it just tells you it, it's a hard thing to understand sometimes. Knowing God's will isn't as difficult though as people make it out to be. Let me, let, let me just say up front, God's will is found in his word. That's the first place it's found. We find it right there. And many Christians wrongly think that the only way that they can know God's will is to pray for him to reveal it to us, and he will just simply lead us. Well, we should ask. We should ask God to give us wisdom. We should ask him to show us his will. But we must do this while also searching the scriptures, because that's where God speaks to us. So we search the scriptures for biblical answers. Now, sometimes we've heard some people say that, well, God told me that I could just do this or that. Usually when I hear, when I have people, would have people in my office and they would start off like that, I knew I was going to uh, hear something that was totally unbiblical. And that usually was the case. So they would say, God told me that I should leave my marriage. Or God said that it would be okay for, for, with, for me to get together the, with this person. It would be okay for me to misrepresent my income because I would be able to give more money to him. And I, I was always confident that God did not speak to them about any of those things. Because one thing I know for sure is that God will not ever contradict what he says in his word. So he's very clear what his will is in his word. And so a wise person is able to understand God's will by looking at the principles that are given in the scriptures and then apply them to their lives. So if you're asking if it is God's will for you to enter into a relationship, a romantic relationship or a business relationship with someone who is not a believer, you should already know the will of the Lord by searching the scriptures. The scripture says that we're not to be unequally yoked. And that doesn't just mean in a, in a relationship like a romantic type of relationship, that means business as well. There's all kind of problems come. When God wants to bring judgment, upon the unbeliever and you're in a relationship with them, guess what spills over onto you? The same judgment. If you are asking if you should begin a romantic relationship with someone other than your wife, the answer is very clear in the scriptures, right? Do not commit adultery. Doesn't matter what your circumstances are. Don't, don't come to me telling me that it's okay because it's not okay. If you're asking whether it is God's will for you to take a job that will require you to lie and cheat and steal, the answer to that question is obvious, right? And so there are some clear-cut answers that we can find in scriptures regarding God's will, but what about those ones that are not so clear-cut? What do we do when we are faced with a decision between two, two options that both seem to be good and on which both the scripture is silent on? Notice uh, the context of this passage. Paul's instruction to understand God's will doesn't stand alone. He has given us clear markers of God's will for our lives. 
If you go back and study the whole book of Ephesians, those markers you see are to be pure instead of sexual immoral, to choose our language very carefully, to avoid being greedy. There's all kinds of markers that are there for us. And so he's given us markers to show us God's will. We can, we can then use these markers to determine what is the right path for us. So in, in situations that are not clear cut, we make a decision based upon what we know God wants from us. We, we know God wants us to put him first. We know that he wants us to avoid sinful behavior. We know that we are to serve him. We know that we're to take care of our family, that we're to do, you, you know, all these types of things, being kind to others. There's all kind of markers. And so by looking at these markers, we can see the path that God has marked out for us to tra travel circumspectly. So when we face decisions between two seemingly good Opinions, we must ask if, if both opinions will keep us on the right path or whether one of them would lead us off of it. For example, if, if trying to decide on a, to switch a job, if one job is going to allow us to be uh, at church and be closer to God and all of that, and the other one is going to take us away, then it's pretty clear cut, isn't it? And, and so sometimes when we ask some of these questions, it begins to help us to understand. Um, it, it, it's important for us to, to really kind of look to see if there are markers there. Um, but sometimes either opinion, you get to that point where this is good and there's nothing wrong with it, and this is good and there's nothing wrong with it. We don't need to wear ourselves out with worry. God has just given us the freedom to choose between the two. They're both good. There's nothing wrong, and God will bless the path that we take as, as we've, if we've done all of the research. Um, sometimes, though, we get paralyzed with fear because uh, we're just not certain what to do. It, it would be like, you know, in the morning you get up and you decide, you know, well, should I wear these socks or should I wear these socks? You say, well, that's absurd. But that, that's really kind of what it's like when we we sometimes struggle over things that are both options are good and nothing wrong with them. So, so Paul's instruction to us is that we should be wise, understanding God's character, his desire for our lives and his word, and then live by applying that wisdom to our lives in the decisions that we make every day of our life. So the essence of Paul's instruction for us is to walk wisely so it, it bears asking ourselves the question, how do we become wise? Well, there's several things we can do. Number one, we seek the Lord. We seek the Lord. The ultimate source of wisdom is God himself, right? How do we seek the Lord? We seek him by prayer and we seek him by studying the Bible. Those two things are given in our life. We spend time with those who are wise. Um, they rub off on us. I've found in the ministry, when I, when I need to strengthen an area that I'm weak in, that I would bring people around me in those areas and I wouldn't be intimidated by them because they know more or are better equipped at that. No, they, they strengthened me. They, they strengthened the ministry at the moment, but they strengthened me and my character as I watched them worship and study with other believers. A lot of times people say, well, it's okay, I can stay at home and just listen to the preaching on the radio or television. And, of course, the pandemic that we've been in this last year has forced a lot of people into that, and they haven't come out of it. 
We need to study the word of God together. Number four, maintain perspective. Maintain perspective. And this is a difficult one. One of the challenges of walking in, in wisdom is that we must not allow ourselves to be driven only by our emotions. We have to see the big picture. And then finally, make the effort. Make the effort. Remember that wisdom is not just about having knowledge, but about applying that knowledge to our life. And so if you walk out of here this morning with a bunch of knowledge about wisdom, but make no changes, you've missed the whole point. You've missed the whole point of the study. Living wisely is a lifelong process. And none of us has arrived. And so there is a process to be made in each of our lives. And the key is to keep moving forward. Don't stop. Let's pray. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.